Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh Pinkerton. I am the minister of middle school students slash families. I was told to give a disclaimer before I begin um, by Pastor Chris. He wanted me to let everybody know that I make a lot of strange jokes and that it's okay if you don't understand them. (laughs) He told me that most of the time he doesn't understand them. So you're right there with him. I, was, uh, I appreciate you guys letting me teach tonight. I was asking my wife what the difference is between teaching and preaching. And uh, what we ultimately decided on is if you're sitting, it's teaching. If you're standing, it's preaching. So I'm happy to be teaching with you guys tonight. A few weeks ago, Pastor Chris talked about the importance of reading the Bible in its narrative context and, and just the theme and, and what the different authors, the way they're writing For instance, we need to recognize if an author of the Bible is writing in a poetic way or in a prophetic way or in just kind of offering general wisdom. For instance, we need to recognize when um, in the book of Proverbs, probably written by Solomon, we should recognize when he's saying, you know, do these things and you'll get wealth. We should know that it's not a literal prescription, that you can't just do certain things and you'll definitely 100% be wealthy all of the time. He's just offering general wisdom for to be joy, to follow God, or to how to work hard. Same with Song of Solomon, also probably written by Solomon. He's not literally saying that her teeth are made of sheep. Like, there, we need to understand the type of narrative that's being given. He's speaking in a poetic way. She doesn't have sheep coming out of her mouth. With the idea of rating things in their context, also, I noticed that most of you just gave me a strange look when I said that, so that's one of those jokes that was a weird joke that it's okay to not understand. But continuing under the, the line of thinking of context and what does that look like, I wanted to get a little bit more specific and talk about reading the Bible in its you know, specific context, especially certain passages, how we need to read not just a certain verse, but the verses before it and following it, and how oftentimes that will change our perception of it. So tonight, I'm going to give you guys three verses that we don't take out of context, three verses that we do take out of context, and three verses that we should take out of context. And the the final one, we, it, we shouldn't actually take them out of context. We probably should still keep them in context. And then, but they mean the same thing, even if they're out of context. But that's not as catchy. So anyways, three verses that we should take out of context. But to start it out, showing the dangers of taking things out of context and how that can completely alter the meaning of them and make them seem to be completely different verses... I'm going to give you three verses that we don't take out of context, and it'll become very clear pretty quickly why we don't take them out of context. So the first one is Job 25.6. And it says, How much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm? Out of context, this sounds horrible. This sounds like we're calling Jesus a worm. And... Obviously, he's not. 
So we recognize that once we look at it in context, that this is actually Bildad the Shuhite speaking metaphorically about all of mankind, how we are worms or maggots in comparison to God. It's not actually talking about Jesus at all, but we see the dangers of taking something out of context and how it very much changes the meaning of what it, what it actually is. Same with Ecclesiastes 10.19. It says, A feast is made for laughter, wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything. So, out of context... Not a great message, but in context, we see that this is actually the author of Ecclesiastes, probably Solomon, discussing how the way the world sees things sometimes. We see oftentimes the wisdom of the world is that money is the answer for everything and that we just need to get drunk and just enjoy life. And so he's speaking very sarcastically in this passage. So when we take it out of context, it very much changes how it comes across. A final favorite of mine is Hosea 3.1. It says, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So the context of this passage is incredibly complicated, and you probably should just go read the book of Hosea. However, the reason I like this verse so much is it supports my personal belief that raisins are evil. (laughs) However, that's probably not what it's saying, probably, but I, I enjoy this verse out of context because I know in my heart that raisins are evil. So with these passages, we have seen that we can't just take certain things out of context. They completely change the way we see things. If we take just a single picture of something and we separate it from everything else, it it looks completely different. Like, for instance, some of you uh, who this is your first time really seeing me, you don't notice anything weird about me. But for those of you who do know me really well, you're like, why the heck is he wearing glasses? He doesn't need glasses. And you're right, I, have, I don't know why I'm wearing these. I don't need glasses. When we see things in a very specific context and we don't understand the context, it changes things. And when, but when we actually recognize things in the whole context, we're able to see if something's strange and is out of place. Unfortunately, even though we know that, there are certain verses in the Bible that we really, really like the way that they sound. And so we take them out of context, even if that sometimes changes their meaning. And so next, we're going to look at three verses that we do take out of context. And I just want to give a warning to everybody. I may step on a few toes with this passage, or with talking about this. I, have, I personally have taken these passages out of context before, so I understand what it's like to be confronted on it. If I do step on your toes, I do invite you after the service ends and I'm shaking hands to just come and literally step on my toes. That's fine. But the first verse I wanted to talk about that we often take out of context is Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Sounds great. But what's the context? 
In verse 10, so I'm going to give you a whole chunk of scripture surrounding it. It says, This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring back to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And you, I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you all from the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So we look at the whole context of this passage, and God is telling the Israelites that they are about to spend 70 years in Babylonian captivity. They are, because of their turning away from him, because they have continued to worship false idols and to, and to just really put a stain on God's name and, turn, and continually try to seek other methods of salvation and because of this lack of faith that they have in him, he has allowed them now to undergo 70 years of captivity. In the passage before this, in, uh, previ- in the previous chapter of 28, the prophet Jeremiah is walking around with a literal wooden ox yoke on his back as a visual reminder of the, of the slavery and the imprisonment which they're about to experience. Okay, it's, it's rough. This is, they're going to go through a difficult time coming up, and that's where this passage comes in. Out of context, it sounds really great and flowery and nice. However, in context, we see that it's, there's a lot going on, and there's a lot of rough stuff that they're going to have to undergo first, but he's giving them a reminder of what he's going to do. And so with this passage, that's why I think the, actually looking at the context of this verse actually makes it even more beautiful. Because it's, it shows us that, yes, God will sometimes allow us to go through really rough circumstances, especially when we have brought those upon ourselves. God is going to sometimes allow us to have to experience really, really difficult things but one of the things that this passage does assure us when we look at it in context is that he's with us in that. That he hasn't forgotten about us and just left us to our own misery and sin. That he's going to be with us and ultimately bring us out of that once we turn to him. God doesn't stop loving us and he, and he doesn't stop loving us even when we're in Babylonian captivity. But that doesn't fit really great on an Instagram post or on a backpack or a t-shirt or whatever. And so instead, we just take this one verse and we make it our life verse and we ignore the surrounding context. However, this is just such an example of how beautiful scripture is when we view it in its entirety and its whole. Another verse that we often take out of context is Matthew eighteen twenty. It says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. However, let's look at the context. Starting in verse 15, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So we see in this passage, what it's talking about is actually exercising church discipline. Basically, we as a church we are called to reach out to somebody, another member of the church, if we know that they're sinning. So, Dr. Mike, if I know that you're cheating on your taxes, it is my spiritual duty to go confront Dr. Mike about this. If he does not listen to me and he refuses to repent, then I need to go get another person and I need to go talk to him with that other person. If he still does not listen, then I need to bring the entire church in, and he needs to be confronted with the entire church. And if he still won't listen, then it's probably time for him to find another church. Basically, what, in this passage, what we see, it's, kind of, it's a little bit confusing with the wording, but what it's actually saying is that when we have to confront people, as we're called to do by Jesus, that he is with us in those moments that Jesus is present with us and he gives us support and his approval in doing so. It's not specifically actually saying that to, to have Jesus present with us, you have to have two people. Like Jesus isn't standing up there in heaven going, sorry, Jim, it's just you. I can't come down. No, he's, if, there's, if there's one person gathered, he's there present with us. However, he's saying if you have two people and you have to go confront somebody and talk to them about really difficult issues, he's there with us. And so I think, once again, we see that the context is actually really beautiful because I don't enjoy having awkward confrontations. I don't want to do that. However, we see that in, through this passage that Jesus is with us when we have to do that. We're not alone, and he doesn't leave us to do that by ourselves. He's with us, and he's present with us, and he supports us in that. And for the record, I am fairly confident Dr. Mike does not cheat on his taxes. Okay, I just want to make that clear. I don't want to start any rumors or anything. So, yeah, you're, you're good, Dr. Mike. Don't worry. A final verse that, I, that often gets taken out of context is Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. However, what's the context? So starting, I believe, in verse 10, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So we see in this passage, when we actually look at it in context, the Apostle Paul is not speaking about just being able to do anything. 
Like he's speaking specifically in this passage actually about being able to endure everything. He's saying that with Christ, you can be in any circumstance and still honor God and love God and be supported by him. With Christ, like, it doesn't matter if you lose your job. It doesn't matter if uh, you, someone you love passes away. It doesn't matter. We are able to be in that circumstance and to find contentment in that through Christ. Whether it's in the highs or whether it's in the lows, we're able to be content with Christ. And that's what this passage is saying. So it's not saying that if you are not qualified that you can just start chanting, you know, I can do all things through Christ who gives you strength and you're going to get that job promotion. Or he's not saying that if you start chanting, I can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, that you're going to be able to ace that math test that you didn't study for. Now, what he's saying is that in every circumstance when we're in, we are able to find contentment in it because of what Christ has done for us and because Christ is with us. You know, whether, whether it be loss, whether it be death, whether it be hardship, whether it be goodness, whether it be someone forcing you to eat raisins, you can be content. Now, with this, we have seen the importance of taking things in context. We see that with the whole, it helps us understand Scripture a little better and understands the author a little bit better and understand what it's saying a little bit better. You know, when we take the one passage out of context, it really puts a different perspective on it. For instance, some of you guys might have seen me biking down Highway 421 today from, on my way from the church to Chick-fil-A. And you might have seen me and gone, wow, that is a healthy athletic man. <laughs> but then, if you were look, to look at me in a different context and uh, be with me in my doctor's appointment a few weeks ago, you would hear him saying things like, you're at serious risk for diabetes, or stop eating so many Sour Patch Kids, or if you're going to eat Frosted Flakes, at least don't eat them with chocolate milk. Like, he, like you would see that in that context, it very much changes your perspective of it. So it's important that we know, just like we need to know somebody in the whole context and need to view somebody in the whole context, we need to view Scripture in the entire context. So, alternatively, to those three verses that I just listed, I'm going to give you three verses that if you had to take a verse out of context and want it to have that same meaning that those verses communicate, you could. So, here's three verses that we should take out of context, or, as I said earlier, verses that I think are good alternatives, but we still should probably read in context. But if we have to take them out of context, they're still pretty good. Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So in this context, the, the Apostle Paul is basically saying that the Holy Spirit is with us. He's able to bring us hope and faith even in those times when we don't feel it. He's able to, he, from the beginning of time, God has worked for us and helped lead us to that salvation that we had or that we have. And so the context of this passage is certainly worth reading and we need to read it. However, if you're going to pick this verse or Jeremiah 29:11 to take out of context, I would say this is the better one to pick. Same with John 14:16. 
In this passage, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, the advocate, who he says is actually, it's better that the Holy Spirit is coming and being present with us rather than him being present with us because he's only, when he was in his fleshly form, he was only to be in one place at one time. However, the Holy Spirit is able to be with all of us at every time. He says in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So while the other passage, we sometimes take that as, you know, if two or more are gathered in my name, there I will be with you also. We take that as, you know, it, take, it has to be two people and then the Holy Spirit will be with us or then Jesus will be with us. What this passage shows is it doesn't matter how many people are there. It doesn't matter if it's just you alone in your room or if it's with you with a bunch of people at church praying together. The Holy Spirit is with us no matter what. He's guiding us. He's helping us. He's showing us what we should pray. He's convicting us. We're not alone in any circumstance. A final verse that we still should read in context is Mark 10, 27. It says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man... It is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So the context of this passage is he's speaking to his disciples regarding this man who, the rich young ruler. And Jesus had basically said that for rich people, it is impossible of their own power to ever go into heaven. He compares it to like trying to squeeze a camel through the eye of the needle. Speaking of which, this is completely off topic, but you might have heard that there was a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle, and that's what he was talking about because the camel had to get on his knee. That's not true. That's not a real thing. He's literally saying that you can't squeeze a camel through the eye of the needle, and that's impossible. With that being said, right following that, he says... With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So the context is important in this passage, but we need to remember that this still applies to everything. There is nothing that's impossible for God. There is any, I have seen some, like, some people go through some awful things, and yet God has been with them through it. And I have seen him end up using people who I, I never expected him to use in that way, use them for amazing things. It, it was utterly impossible for me to become a Christian. My parents are here, and they can tell you I was a rough kid. I, I, was, I did not enjoy listening to my parents. Um, if they tried to help me across the street, I would run back to the beginning of the street and walk, walk again so I could do it alone. Like, I was, I was a tough, tough kid, and I was very stubborn and very prideful. But, and it was completely impossible for me to find salvation on my own. But thankfully, with God, it was not impossible. And so... We still need to read it in context. However, if the choice is between, if we're talking about God being able to do anything, it's probably better for us to pick this than Philippians 4.13 because it shows that with God, all things are possible. So with this, and as we wrap up way too early, I, <laughs> I, I did not plan this well, but as... I want us to remember a few things. The first thing is that the Bible was written by 
over 40 different authors, and yet it was guided by the same Holy Spirit. Because of that, the Bible is this beautiful mosaic and this beautiful tapestry that all together forms one beautiful picture. And when we take out little pieces of it without really looking at the whole, we end up losing a lot of the value and the beauty. And because the Holy Spirit has guided that process and created it, we need to take the whole thing into account. Because when you, when you love somebody, you want to know all of them. You don't want to just know the parts of them that are flashy and nice. If you love somebody, you want to hear everything and you want to know everything about them. And the same thing applies to the, our relationship with God. If, if we love God, we want to know his whole word, not just the verses of his word that we really like. If we love God, we want to read everything and we want to know everything because that's going to help us understand God better and know him better and love him more. God has loved us despite knowing our complete context. God has seen you at your highest highs and at your lowest lows. He's seen you when you're acting like the greatest person in the world. He's seen you when you're acting like the worst person in the world. And he has loved you through everything, through every moment of that. God, on the other hand, is 100% good all the time. He is completely good through everything. Recognizing that, knowing that God is completely good and completely wonderful 100% of the time, we shouldn't be afraid to approach the entirety of Scripture. There should be nothing that we're scared to read. Sometimes it's, there's passages that are difficult, and sometimes there's passages that are a little bit confusing and take some time to really process and think about and figure out what the context is and why, it's, why that was written and why it says that. However, because we know that God is wholly good, we shouldn't be afraid of those passages or that context, and we should be able to just dive into everything without fear. God has made Scripture and given it to us as this beautiful, beautiful offering in order for us to get to know him better and to be able to grow closer to him and to be able to help others grow closer to him as well. Because of that, it is so worth reading things in their context. And yeah, sometimes it might not sound as flowery and nice, but when we see it in the whole, it is so much more beautiful. As we handle God's word as we responsibly, as Christians, read it and preach it, we need to understand the surrounding parts of it. I mean, even John 3.16, which I'm sure pretty much everybody in this room knows, it's important to see the context of that. I mean, in John 3.18, he's talking about the fact that without Jesus, we're condemned. So it's even in just that one verse, which we often just use to describe the whole gospel, it's really important to know the verses surrounding it as well. The Bible is worth reading in context, and God is worth knowing as a whole. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for just this opportunity to take tonight and just spend time 
talking about what it means to approach your word and how we should do that. Lord, I, I just thank you for the opportunity that we have to even be able to read about you, things that you've said and words that you've communicated to us, God. It's just such a blessing that a lot of people around the world don't even have. They don't have access to being able to read the scripture in its whole. But Lord, I just thank you for the blessing that we have in being able to just read it all and to be able to consume it. Lord, I pray that as believers, Lord, and as followers of you, that we would just be continually just diving into the word, God, that anytime we hear a passage or a verse, Lord, that we, our first thought should be, well, what is it, what is the context and what is it around it and want to fully understand it in its entirety. God, I pray that you would help each of us to be responsible with the word that you've given us, Lord, and that we would continue to just seek you with everything we have. Lord, we thank you for loving us and that as we read more and more of your word, Lord, we realize just how beautiful you are and how beautiful your love for us is. God, we thank you for all your blessings and your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.